And so the only way I, I found that I could be able to understand this is to go back to the year 1900, you know, starting with Nikola Tesla and then all the events that happen and the global elite that everybody's familiar with, you know, and, the, and how it started with the uh, Viral Society and Maria Orsic and, uh, and then how Nazi Germany had achieved anti-gravity in 1934 things that you're not taught in school, <laughs> all these things that you don't know in school. And then you find out that, what, 250,000 Germans escaped and uh, 100 U-boats are unaccounted for and Operation High Jump and the flyover in 1952 and all this. And you start to realize that, uh, my God, um, yeah, we we won war with Germany, but the Nazis effectively escaped. They had a plan to create a matrix of perception of controlling the media, controlling education, controlling Hollywood, going into the pharmaceutical corporations, going into the CIA. They put their people in top positions, like William Tompkins said. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Well, it's my great pleasure to welcome Dan Willis to Exopolitics Today. I first saw Dan in 2001 when he was one of the 21 witnesses at the Disclosure Project press conference in Washington, D.C., and really was fascinated with his story and how he got involved in the press conference and what motivated him. So welcome, Dan, to the show. Oh, it's quite an honor to join you, Michael. Uh, you were like the perfect candidate to be the world authority on exopolitics, being uh, a professor teaching at a major university about uh, international conflict and how perfect to go right into exopolitical uh, <laughs> matters. And, you know, I've been following your work, and I'm uh, quite honored to do this. We've done shows together here and there in the past, and uh, we've never done, this is the first time you, you and I have actually done like an, an interview. Well, yeah, this is the first time I've actually got to interview you, which is uh, a great way to just get your story out to, to my audience. And there are some maybe that don't know about you. So why don't we begin by you just sharing a little bit about your background. I know you uh, were in the Navy. Uh, you served, I think, one or two tours. And uh, then you had worked as in the press. So why don't you tell us about your background? Yes, uh, my involvement with these 20 witnesses back, uh, it'll be, what is it, May 4th? uh right now uh may 9th 2001 almost uh 21 years ago that was a long time ago um in uh, 1969 i was in the navy and i had a high level top secret security clearance i was in naval communications and uh worked at the naval communication station in san francisco as a major communication hub where all you know top secret secret messages went through and so i uh was in charge of a code room in 1969 didn't have very advanced technologies as they do today and so sometimes the messages wouldn't come through the crypto 
and they have to come over Morse code. And so I was a high-speed certified code operator. And one day I got a report from a ship off the coast of Alaska where the uh, crew was visually witnessing a, uh, a disc about 70 feet in diameter that was glowing reddish orange that merged off of port bow of the ship, which was up near Alaska and uh, shot straight up into space. The radar operator on the, sh on the ship tracked the blips going over 7,000 miles per hour. Um, this was uh, classified a secret going to the Chief of Naval Operations in Washington, DC. It seeded my curiosity because I knew this was, uh, this was an official classified document. I mean, I couldn't imagine what, what could it be. Uh, I looked at the paper, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle afterward to try to see if I could see some kind of article about it or something. And so, you know, over the years, I've, uh, I've been uh, researching the subject. In uh, 2001, um, 20 witnesses uh, at the National Press Club in Washington, DC, each one of us stated our testimonies. And afterward, we stated we were willing to testify under oath before a congressional hearing. That's the penalty of perjury and some of us breaking national security oaths. Uh, the 20 witnesses were backed by over 500 military intelligence witnesses. I mean, how many would you need really <laughs> to get through? Um, this, uh, myself being an ex-ABC newsman, I used to be a broadcast engineer for the most powerful FM station on the West Coast, and I would do the, the news reports, you know, for ABC uh, on, the, on the weekends. Uh, the place was packed with reporters. There's 22 cameras in the back row. Uh, I couldn't imagine, I mean, the testimonies, that my testimony was minor compared to what the other witnesses were disclosing. We were talking about um, Dr. Carl Wolf, talking about the bases he clearly saw on the dark side of the moon, uh, Donna Hare, uh, the NASA is airbrushing out the UFOs before releasing the public and the astronauts are sworn to secrecy what happened when they went to the moon in 1969. Uh, Clifford Stone, there was a, a book when he's doing retrievals, uh, 57 different extraterrestrial species were already categorized by 1989. Uh, nuclear uh, Captain Robert Salas, uh, nuclear silos were UFOs had come over. The guards were with their weapons drawn. It was glowing red UFOs, and they would be multiply shut down, do 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 do, like that. It didn't destroy the base; they just shut them all down. Uh, we've had zero point energy that uh, could alleviate the need for nuclear oil and coal. Uh, presidents, CIA directors, heads of intelligence, they're all being de illegally denied access. In fact, that's what brought about the event was uh, a 1997 meeting at the Pentagon where a um, office of uh, ONI doc, not ONI, um, NRO rather, uh, National Reconnaissance Office Security Advisory, which had a list of unacknowledged special access programs on the distribution list that were reverse engineering the extraterrestrial craft over at S4. Uh, this was presented to the Admiral, and Admiral looked into it. He was denied access as the long history ever since going back to Eisenhower. He was furious because he was threatened. At, if he didn't 
if he didn't uh, drop the matter immediately, he would lose rank and see an early retirement. And so he told Dr. Greer that if you can get your people willing to testify under oath, you have my permission to go to the mainstream media with this. This group is uh, quote unquote illegal, meaning not overseen by our constitutional government. So essentially that's what, uh, I was the hundredth videotape witness of this event. Uh, what was being disclosed, I, I've, I felt humbled that I'm participating in this, what, what appeared to be like a world changing event. I mean, it inspired you and it inspired Gary McKinnon who found out about the Solar Warden US Navy secret space program. Uh, it went all over the internet. Um, I've seen our different testimonies in different languages, but with the media, the media did what's called a, uh, a limited hangout, which means that they only let out the part that was uh, the part that was safe and made it appear to sound like the only purpose for all of this was to have a congressional hearing on simply the reality of UFOs, completely omitting and taking out all this explosive testimonies. So I became aware that. Uh, I didn't even know what Operation Mockingbird was, uh, Michael, in 2001. So um, that's a little little background. Yeah, well, that was truly a life-changing event uh, for me in particular, because I actually was a full-time professor at American University teaching different graduate classes about uh, international peace and conflict resolution. And, and I saw that Disclosure Project press conference, and, and it blew me away. It was like, wow, all the bells went off. It's like, wow, these guys are, are speaking the truth. I mean, I, I knew it. I could feel it. And so what I did was actually I, um, in one of the summer classes at American University, the class was called Theory of Conflict, Violence, and War. I actually, in one week, I actually scheduled uh, some readings uh, for people to look at my graduate students to look into the UFO issue and to watch the first hour of the Disclosure Project press conference. So I, I got them to watch it. So this is a graduate class. And at the end of it, I said, well, you know, let's line up. And in terms of a spectrum, if, you're, if, you, if you strongly agree that these people are all telling the truth, then you, you can stand on the right and you stand as on the far right if you think they're telling that the, you strongly believe they're telling the truth and you know if you think they're just making it up stand on the left what a clever and, idea and so out of the 25 students only two only two thought that they were telling the truth the other 23 wow. either believe that they were just making it up or they were just <laughs> you know fence sitters and and and, and that just amazed me because it, it was so clear to me that you guys were speaking the truth, that this was really happening, that this incredible cover-up of UFOs, extraterrestrial life, advanced technologies, you know, bases on the moon, that this was really happening. And yet here I was teaching at probably one of the most uh, progressive liberal arts universities in the country, and the vast majority of the students thought it was uh, hogwash or just didn't, didn't uh, think that there was anything worth pursuing in that. And so it wasn't a surprise to me that uh, 
only three years later, I was kicked out of the university because <laughs> uh, the, the faculty and the students just didn't want to go there. They, you know, their minds were closed. They, they, went, they went with established theories of international peace and conflict resolution. And you know, political theory is a well understood science and it breaks down into, you know, you either understand the world in terms of these emerging international processes, that's called kind of liberal internationalism, or it's understood in terms of uh, balance of power. And, and so, yeah, people just weren't willing to open their minds to some other process happening here that transcended that. So that, that was amazing. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, you're one of the people that were responsible for waking me up and, uh, you know, eventually I'm getting so me grateful. sacked. I'm so grateful <laughs> that you have uh, <laughs> carried on the way you have and in bringing together, it took me a bit to wrap my mind around, you know, I've been researching this ever since that event. And then when the secret space program people come the 20 and back, you know, that, that was a stretch for me. So I was just kind of cautious on, you know, but as the information started building and building, and especially Gary McKinnon, he didn't make that up. They wanted to put the poor guy away for 70 years in prison because we inspired him, you know, to, to see the truth. But the university didn't want to go out of the box. I'm curious, what did you, uh, what did you show your students? Did you show the actual two-hour press conference or did you show what the media showed? No, I just showed the first hour of the press conference. So I just played that for the first hour. So it was a two-hour class, and then uh, for the second hour, we just discussed it, and then I did that exercise, and, you know, and, and we kind of continued the discussion. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, some of the students, so you know, they were hostile. They they really thought it was inappropriate that I was mm. showing this stuff in a university at the university. Some of them really felt that it was just conspiracy, and so they just didn't want to consider that this could all be happening, which is really strange uh, because these were graduate students. So these were people who often had uh, field work. So we had people from the International Group for the Red Cross, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, you know, Doctors Without Frontiers, you know, people who'd, who'd done a lot of NGO work were graduate students wanting to get master's degrees in international peace and conflict resolution. But, you know, they just did not want to open their minds to the possibility that you know, there could be this enormous cover-up behind the scenes that affects uh, international politics and the global economy and, and our whole world in, in you know, numerous ways. So that was really eye-opening for me. And, but even though it was very painful uh, to, you know, to be dismissed from the university, lose yeah. my, my position and, you know, and, all, and everything that goes with it, at the misfortune the, bring opportunity as the Chinese say <laughs> it did yeah misfortune did bring opportunity because it meant that you know I didn't have to teach classes I didn't have to mark essays I didn't have to do any admin work as a full-time professor I was basically a free agent to just research and dive deep into this material and it took a while but eventually uh, you know I hit my stride and I haven't looked back. And, and so, yeah, the, the exopolitics field, I, I think it really needed me to kind of dive in and, and devote myself full time to it. I, I couldn't do it part time. 
I find it fascinating that you showed the first hour because it's um, it, it shows psychologically. There's you know people are some people really fight to not go out of their comfort zone because if you showed the first hour, that means that you showed one of the first witnesses, which was John Callahan, who was head of investigations of the FAA, where they had a <laughs> they had a UFO that was like five times the size of the 747. And they had ground radar, they had military radar, they had computer printouts, and the CIA swore them all the secrecy, saying that we don't release this to the public because it'd create panic. And they confiscated everything, but he had backups of all of the radar data and the, all the printouts and everything. And he brought that and put it right there in front of the podium after he gave his testimony. And is not the only one. Several of the witnesses had documented uh, Robert, uh, Captain Robert Salas had documented evidence. Uh, Commander Graham Bethune, who was sitting to my uh, to my right, who was interesting. I find out I had lunch with him. I found out later he was uh, Admiral Byrd's pilot that flew him down to Antarctica, and uh, and he brought the official Office of Naval Intelligence report of his, uh, his experience. So there, these were witnesses that not only willing to, to, you know, testify under oath, but they brought official documentation to back up. And it's, it's curious that, uh, you know, the students would uh, discount that as uh, fantasies. Well, that was what really surprised me because uh, you know, I've been a field worker. I've, I went to conflict zones in East Timor, in Kosovo, in Sri Lanka. You know, these were war zones. And I was, you know, part of my work was to find out what was happening in these conflict zones and to promote peaceful solutions. So that was what my specialty was. So I you know, had experience in interviewing people. And you, you could always tell when a person is under stress and uh, feels threatened because of the secrets or the information that they have. And because a lot of the people I interviewed in these field, in, the, in my field were subjected to human rights abuses by officials, by government officials or military officials. So I kind of quickly learned that you know, these were people that were telling the truth because they had everything to lose by telling the truth because, you know, they weren't going to be rewarded. They weren't going to become press stars. All they were going to get from talking to people like me was harassment from official organizations. And, and so that was one of the things that impressed me about the Disclosure Project press conference was that, you know, the people that came forward, like all of them, you included all were prepared to testify before Congress, and you know you were subjected to a lot of ridicule, harassment. A, a lot of the the people that had this information, there was really nothing to gain. So that was one of the things that got me very very interested in what was said because in two thousand and one I was pretty much a conventional scholar. You know, I at that time I believed the New York Times, the Washington Post, that CNN were giving you the gospel truth. And, and if anyone said that there was some other source of information better than the reporters, 
that were writing for the New York Times or the Post, I, I would have argued with you that there's no one better. These these are the best of the best. And, and of course, you know, I <laughs> I, I went right. through a big transition from that early naivety. But I know that a lot of people are stuck in that place now. A lot of academics are stuck in that place. And really, how do you open them up? I mean, it's a journey. And the Disclosure Project press conference started the journey for me. And, and maybe people are going to start their journey from watching this interview, or maybe it's a, a book, or maybe it's the chronology that you develop, which I, I think is really quite outstanding. I mean, you, you develop this chronology, something that I've wanted to do uh, since I got involved in this field was to like lay out a clear chronology. But you know, at the time, I didn't know what all the pieces of the puzzle were, because this is a giant jigsaw puzzle. And, and you know, finding out what, what all the pieces are and, and putting them into perspective, you know, that's a lot of work. So you, you've developed a chronology, which I think really is an outstanding contribution. And, and it's very interesting because your chronology starts from 1922. And, and so that means that you, you go back 100 years and you map out the key events that mark the evolution of this kind of uh, exopolitical flying saucer, extraterrestrial uh, cover-up. Well, my research is pale compared to yours. You're, I, am, I am honored to, you're, you're, a, you're a pioneer in this. I, I, had to, I had to try to understand this because after, after we went in front of the mainstream media, we were on CNN and all the different networks and everything. Uh, CBS wanted to do an interview with me, a one-on-one, -on -one, and I saw what CNN did with it made it kind of look like uh oh those who uh those who don't want to believe don't believe i think john callan was saying something anyway they made it sound as though uh you know the whole thing was just uh, a thing all these hundreds of witnesses you know just want to say that there is a a reality to the ufo matter and so CBS came down, interviewed me, but I told him I would not do this interview unless I said that we have the scientists are willing to go before an open congressional hearing to prove, put it on the table, that we have the zero point energy that could alleviate the need for nuclear oil and coal. They promised <laughs> afterward, the, uh, the producer, she said, I've never had this happen before. Uh, they hire executives, you know, which we know now that the intelligence community uh, made me cut that part out. And so it made me aware that our intelligence community is wanting to suppress a solution to help the entire, entire world. And so uh, sometimes shortly after that, a... Uh, a media company out of Hollywood. They wanted me to write an article on the control of media in regards to the UFO issue. And so I thought this is a great opportunity for me to try to understand what, what the heck happened back then. Why, why was this not a world-changing event? Uh, and so the only way I, I found that I could be able to understand this is to go back to the year 1900, you know, starting with Nikola Tesla and then all the events that happened and the global elite that everybody's familiar with, you know, and the, and how it 
started with the uh, Viral Society and Maria Orsic and, uh, and then how Nazi Germany had achieved anti-gravity in 1934. Things that you're not taught in school. <laughs> All these things that you don't know in school. And then you find out that, what, 250,000 Germans escaped and uh, 100 U-boats are unaccounted for and Operation High Jump and the flyover in 1952 and all this. And you start to realize that, uh, my God, um, yeah, we, we won war with Germany, but the Nazis effectively escaped. They had a plan to create a matrix of perception of controlling the media, controlling education, controlling Hollywood, going into the pharmaceutical corporations, going into the CIA. They put their people in top positions, like William Tompkins said. Uh, and they created a matrix of perception, uh, starting with 1950, Alan Dulles with Operation Mockingbird. And then in 54, they had started the Bilderberg meetings that are along with the uh, Council of Foreign Relations. They control the six corporation. They control 90% of what you see in here. So, so the people are actually innocent because when you're a child, you watch television with your parents. Your parents, I used to watch Walter Cronkite with my father. And there's no reason to question what the news, you're, you're imagining that there's hundreds of journalists that are vetting this information, that how could all these different sources of, of media all be saying the same thing without somebody scrying, yelling and saying, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> this isn't right. Uh, so everybody assumes that. And then you take that into adulthood and you just naturally assume that, oh, New York Times, that's a credible source. Uh, of course, people are now questioning CNN and, and other sources more and more, but still there's a certain amount of people that, you know, watch MSNBC, read the uh, Washington Post, New York Times, all these different centrally controlled outlets that form their perception to hide this reality. And it's too much of a stretch for their mind to imagine that it's been infiltrated and being used against them. And so this is the dilemma we're, we're at, Mike, Michael, is that uh, how do you bridge this without, they, now the CIA came up with in 1967 uh, when people were questioning you know, the JFK assassination, which I love your book, uh, Kennedy's Last Stand, it goes in beautifully about what happened and Alan Dulles setting up the assassination directive that people started to question it didn't you know, there was a whole lot of glitches in that matrix and so the cia put out a, a a secret dispatch to all its agents to label people who uh were questioning this as uh conspiracy theorists and they still use that term today and you know they, they attribute it to oh they have financial interests and half-baked theories and so forth uh, and, and so you have uh, a population just like your students that it, 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 it goes into their comfort zone to know that, hey, there's another reality other than what uh, that news person who's reading the teleprompter, who's uh, getting information that's put together by 
psychological think tanks that engineer our perceptions and, and to gain our consent that moves forward on an agenda that the public has no idea about. Well, I think uh, this matrix of perception has been um, very well crafted by the by the controllers. And oh, so polished. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're, they're very good at it, you know, because I think uh, we, you know, because there's two levels of control here. You know, one is the the control over the whole UFO extraterrestrial issue. And and we can kind of like, you know, we can date that back to say in say 1920, early 1920s in, in Germany, when Maria Orsich first began to channel and put out information from this human-looking group from Aldebaran. And 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 also we can then say that okay, there's another level of control which comes from the secret societies, uh, mm. Freemasons and so forth, that, that goes back much, much further. I mean, you, know, you, you actually have people like um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson in the early 1900s. This was well before Maria Orsich and the flying saucer issues. And they were talking then about a secret government. So, so you know, we, we need to understand that secret government has been around for a long, long time. It has its tentacles all over the world and that they collaborate because it's an international organization. And, and I think at the heart of that organization or this international network, it's, it's an occult network. And the Freemasons are a, a key part of that. And, and so they have this history of coming in, controlling discoveries that can impact uh, human consciousness. You know, for example, uh, the Freemasons through their control of the Smithsonian Institution. I mean, they they covered up the truth about these giants that were being covered that were being discovered in the late 1800s and the mm. early 1900s that were being covered by the main by the mainstream news at the time. And then the the kind of Freemasons, Smithsonian, just covered it all up because they didn't want people to start thinking about these giants and and what that meant so you know that matrix of perception has a long history and so we know some of the organizations that were involved and so that kind of you know, that brings up a very interesting question that is okay so you have this matrix of perception that goes back many many centuries freemasons occult organizations are involved in it vatican and so jesuits they're all they all have a hand in it and then in the early 1920s, Maria Orsic starts putting out this channeled information where she's revealing a lot of advanced technologies from the, these Aldebaran extraterrestrials. And later on, I mean, now, recently, we, we learned that actually Maria Orsic was an extraterrestrial infiltrator from the <laughs> Nordics, from the Galactic Federation of Worlds, that she infiltrated human society to start to reveal the truth so that what she was doing uh, was to start to reveal some of these advanced technologies, to start to reveal the truth about extraterrestrial life, the sort of things that the secret government had been covering up for, for a long, long time. And so she started that process. And, and of course, um, you know, that's that Maria Osic herself, I mean, 
historians know nothing about it because because she she has been kind of like whitewashed from history. Well, you know, what what do you want to say about Maria Orsic and the idea that she came in as an asset of the Galactic Federation of Worlds or positive ETs to help awaken humanity to the truth of our extraterrestrial her heritage? I'm with you on that, Michael. Uh, there's a lot of indications that indicate that. In the uh, early 1980s, I was working with IBM's top scientist, Dr. Marcel Vogel, which uh, at the time, uh, the Billy Myers case, the, the one-armed <laughs> farmer in Switzerland who was getting in contact with some Jazzy, who um, he was shown a picture of Maria Orsic. And he says, that's Maria Orsic. I mean, oh, I'm sorry, that's some Jazzy. This is some Jazzy. And then you have William Tompkins, uh, who his Nordic secretary, Jessica, he was shown a picture of Maria Orsic. And he says, that's Jessica, that's Jessica. And lately you've been interviewing you know, my friend, John Charles and Elena, and uh, also John Charles is uh, David. Uh, and they were on board the Solaris, and here's this Maria. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, she doesn't look a day over a 300, you know, but she's she looks great, you know, and so she's of a different DNA, I believe. And uh, she's definitely uh, intervening, it seems, appropriately at, at certain times with certain people that is uh, moving along our timeline of, uh, of it, it, this whole thing fascinated me, what you did with Elena with the uh, prime directive and how, how it matched up and how the prime directive is, is attempting to create a balance from what intervened with Nazi Germany and the uh, Sicar Empire, the, the Dracos, and then how the US Navy, um, was working with the uh, Galactic Federation of Worlds in order to uh, create a balance and that they launched the secret space program back in the 80s. And it's just so incredible, the, uh, the technology of the med beds of that they're able to age reverse people and time reverse them and put them on a separate timeline uh, and, and you have so many of these witnesses that you've interviewed, uh, and they're not all making it up. And, you, and you're, if we were to show your class back in the year 2001, <laughs> the 20 and back secret space programs, it, they would have a really hard time with that one if they, they couldn't even accept what we were saying, which was kind of basic uh, back in 2001. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, in terms of the, your, your timeline, the, the chronology that you developed, you know, if we take uh, what Maria Orsic was doing in the 1920s as a kind of starting point for introducing this knowledge about extraterrestrial life to uh, humanity, uh, the, the Weimar Republic in Germany was actually uh, ideal for doing that because it was uh, very much at the forefront of liberal democratic values and there was a kind of freedom and information was free flowing in the Weimar Republic. And, and so Maria Orsic, uh, her information was getting out and William Tompkins talked about this. I mean, he kept talking about uh, four, what was it? 4,400 people were working on these different technology projects. So, um, you know, it's a lot, we're talking about something that happened a hundred years ago now, but 
in the 1920s, uh, there was this kind of like consciousness shift happening in the Weimar Republic. So, so what does the deep state do? What, what does the cult organizations do? They fund Adolf Hitler and they bring him in to end the Weimar Republic. So this opening, because the, the first flying saucers that were developed in Germany uh, were developed by uh, Maria Osic's group. And, and that was part of the Weimar Republic. So this was a civilian initiative. So what did the uh, secret society do? They, they organized uh, for a coup, essentially a coup. And they, they paid for uh, Hitler's Nazi party to come into power, to, to grab power. And, and, and this is a historical fact. I mean, uh, you can see the Dulles brothers, Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles actually went mm -hmm. to Nazi Germany or went to Germany in 1933 and actually helped fund uh, Nazi Germany. And, and they, they convinced industrialists at the time to support Hitler. So, so, so what happened after that? So Hitler comes in, the Nazis are in, and then soon uh, you, you actually have Hitler and the Nazis making agreements with the draconians. So that means that, you know, this promising beginning with the Weimar Republic, working with these positive extraterrestrials that Maria Osic was in touch with, was all co-opted by the Nazis. And then the Nazis make these agreements with the draconian extraterrestrials in the, in the 1930s. And, and so, yeah, anything you want to add to that? And later, um, later is agreements with the Nibu or the Greys with uh, the MJ-12 group that went around Eisenhower which uh, these, yeah, these, uh, these agreements totally put us on a timeline of a hijacked planet. You know, after, speaking of a hijacked planet, after uh, the congressional hearing was denied, uh, they did not want to bring forth these scientists. We had scientists in these black projects that could prove this, these technologies. Uh, Dr. Greer set up a corporation. We had a database of about 300 scientists and inventors. And uh, with my scientific background, I volunteered to be one of uh, six technical advisors. Everybody had multiple PhDs except myself. Uh, I have a lot of hands-on <laughs> experience. Uh, one of our, uh, uh, Eugene Malov was one of our group that unfortunately, when I first got involved, he was, uh, he was murdered. And it was 10 years from 2004 to 2014 that I flew around the planet, uh, meeting with scientists and inventors vetting what's called over unity type technologies uh, with professor ted loiter um, he was teaching at university of uh, new hampshire that he was a uh, earth sciences uh, professor he didn't have the technical background that i do so that's why i was brought in uh one instance we had a inventor in the dominican republic had an energy device over one watt going in, 500 watts going out. I was going to fly back down and blueprint schematic this out. And the inventor says, two CI agents showed up at the door just before we got there and says, this works, you're dead. So he completely disassembled it. I was going to 
blueprint this out and send it by multiple carriers in case something happened to us so they'd be able to reproduce it. So it's just one horror story after another. I worked with the Bedini brothers who mysteriously both died on the same day. Uh, one Dutch scientist, uh, incredible. He wrote multiple volumes of the dynamics of electron flow and the advanced calculus. And he was able, uh, Dr. Greer actually set up a, down the street from uh, Thomas Jefferson's place, Monticello, we set up a temporary lab where I would meet with some of these scientists and they would prove their technologies. And uh, this one scientist had a energy device that was like 140 watts of power coming out of a little box, pulling it out of the air. He was going to Europe to patent it and he was found slumped over the steering wheel with a heart attack just before <laughs> going there. I mean, it was just one, horror move most of them received national security orders which you're familiar with and there's what over six thousand probably by now that these in these orders says your invention has been deemed to be a detriment to the national security of the united states therefore you cannot share it with anyone it's a the system within the patent office anybody that has anti-gravity free energy anything along that line they automatically get issued one of these. So this is why we keep driving uh, gasoline, using coal, using these nuclear dangerous power plants. Uh, we've, we've had our future technologically hijacked from us. We, we, could, we could be in a whole different world today with uh, the holographic medbed technology, which um, I heard Alex Collier talking about how it works according to the Andromedans, where they take a, the Andromedas actually call it a camera, they take a holographic image of you and it goes all the way back to your conception. And what they do is that it, they can tune through time, the hologram, and put together when your body was most optimal, all the different parts of your body and make this new composite, overlay it on you and age reverses you like they do in the 20 and back program or when your arm or leg is missing in combat it could be regenerated in a matter of hours and a project i worked on with dr vogel was a camera that was patented by the european patent office in france that was a delaware camera that substantiated the to be able to tune through time a holographic reality that can be attuned to uh, I won't go into it all, but it, uh, but it was patented and thousands of photos were, were made of it. And uh, one example was a woman who was pregnant 50 miles away. They were able to tune into the baby uh, and see it go through um, different stages of progression, moving backwards and forwards into time by using a drop of blood as a holographic fractal witness of that. And this camera would, using sound and light, project in 3D this image of which we were only able to capture a slice of it on a photographic slim film. And my job was to, uh, this was 1950s technology. I was supposed to uh, bring this into 1980s electronics where we could see this imaging in real time. And so that was one of the projects I worked on with uh, Marcel Vogel that substantiated what Alex Collier was saying, how the med beds holographically work. 
Well, you mentioned Alex Collier, and he's very interesting because um, he talked about a, a, this kind of temporal war. He said that uh, the Andromedans detected that 357 years or so in our future, there would be this galactic tyranny, and they traced it back to the Earth, back to the Moon and to Mars. And so that, that meant that the Earth, Moon, and Mars were part of this kind of temporal war that the galactics were investigating, that the positive extraterrestrials, the Andromeda Council, all identified that this temporal war started on Earth and it went back to this period in, uh, in our history with, with Nazi Germany, their flying saucer program, and, and the different extraterrestrial groups helping one side or another. You, you, you have the, the positive extraterrestrials um, helping the allies during the Second World War. You have the reptilians, the Draco reptilians helping uh, the, the Axis powers during the Second World War. And then, then, of course, in the midst of all of this, you, you have uh, the Navy trying to make sense of what the, what the Germans were doing. And James Forrestal set up a, an espionage program out of Naval Air Station San Diego. And I know you have a personal connection to, to that air station. So yeah, well, why don't you kind of tell us about uh, James Forrestal, the, the Navy uh, espionage program out of San Diego in, um, in, during the Second World War and, and how that was all part of this kind of unfolding temporal war. Uh, and that that book I I sent to uh, my father worked back in the same department, the uh, assembly and repair department of Naval Air Station San Diego. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't see uh, William Tompkins in that listing, but I found it fascinating that uh, a single U.S. Navy spy happened to discover the anti-gravity craft in Germany, and he jumped the chain of command and went straight to. Uh, James Forrestal, Secretary of the Navy, who immediately started this uh, Nazi, uh, this uh, US Navy spy program into the Nazi secret space program. And they had what, 29, I believe, uh, US Navy spies that were embedded. And they were um, meeting in this uh, tower building at the Naval Air Station San Diego with Admiral Rick Oboda and uh, William Tompkins was the uh, information disseminator, according to the documentation, which you did a lot of great research on. And uh, they were trying to catch up. They had advanced technology that we were way behind on. And so they were disseminating that to uh, McDonnell Douglas and I think universities and things that, uh, and some of it was even hieroglyphics. <laughs> um, to try to make out what was going on so that we could get a technological edge on what uh, what the Nazi SS was doing down in our Antarctica. And um, that uh, that program evolved, and that's how uh, William Tompkins, uh, it, it's so curious his background with uh, his incredible photographic memory, making all these little ships and everything. And 
he is, he was revealing some secret things that were on the ships and office naval intelligence says we got to get this guy in here so they brought him into the navy and uh and so yeah it's a fascinating part of history uh, and there's documentation that shows that uh what happened back in the battle of la 1942 with uh the documents that showed that uh admiral Rickleboda what flew over to uh, Wright-Patterson and was uh, investigating uh, this unusual craft, although it, you know, it didn't state specifically in the document, but it was pretty obvious, especially with all the leaked uh, documents of what, uh, I think it was during the time of Roosevelt that, and uh, uh, for, forget all the generals and everything, but there was, it, there was a lot of, authenticated documents that indicate that uh, there was definitely craft that was shot down during that event. And that uh, that's what essentially led to this, the split between the uh, Navy and the Air Force with uh, General Henry Arnold uh, with the Rand Corporation, basically bringing in a huge amount of money and forcing the Navy to do its own research secretly and so it seemed like the air force and the cia and the nazis and uh <laughs> were all teamed together and the navy was doing its own thing separately and so it seems that the uh the nordic extraterrestrials uh decided that's how to bring about balance is to work with the navy and uh and that's the situation we have yeah that uh effort by the Nordics to identify the US Navy as the most powerful or most prominent military organization in the United States and on the on the planet to be a conduit for this uh, for this future. I mean, earlier on, you mentioned the uh, prime directive, and that seems to be very important for these Nordics that, you know, they were intervening because uh, there had been a violation of the prime directive. The, uh, the Draco reptilians actively came in and began to help the Germans or help the Nazis uh, during the Second World War and then help them set up uh, this base in Antarctica that was used for starting up a secret space program. And so what the uh, Nordics did, the Galactic Federation, was to help the US Navy develop their own program. And, and of course, uh, William Tompkins talks about uh, Jessica, the Nordics that had infiltrated Douglas Aircraft Company and a number, uh, number of other companies. And that, and, and that this, this was kind of like rival or, or parallel development tracks uh, between the, the US Navy that was being helped by the Nordics and uh, the US Air Force that had made deals with the uh, Germans in Antarctica. So, you know, is that something you, you want to kind of like elaborate on? No doubt. Um, I, I found, you know, as far as the, you know, intervening with the timeline, I found that the Galactic Federation, world, you know, as a, as a kid in the 50s, 60s, I used to love, you know, the science fiction movies and watch the outer limits. And I was, I was, <laughs> I was fascinated to find that, uh, 
Leslie Stevens, the creator of Outer Limits, was his father was Admiral Leslie Stevens, involved in Office of Naval Intelligence psychological operations, and he was a contemporary with Admiral Rick Opoda, and that uh, Gene Ronberry was fed the Star Trek script, and seeding this, this positive timeline of a future, uh, you know, prime directive, teleportation, warp drives, uh, you know, all these, all, as, a, as, a, as a child, you know, I was looking at Star Trek and I was like, God, I'm, I'm sure it collectively affected the entire world with all these concepts that were, were brought about on, uh, as a science fiction. And I believe that affected the timeline considerably. But yeah, the, uh, apparently the Air Force was uh, kind of brought in and working with the CIA. And it's interesting that in September of 1947, both the CIA and the Air Force were created on the same day. And <laughs> MJ-12. Yeah, well, that's right. That the National Security Act of uh, 1947, because that was all set up uh, to manage this uh, extraterrestrial um, issue and, and, of course, uh, dealing with the Nazis in Antarctica, dealing with extraterrestrial visitors uh, to Earth, all, all that required a dedicated agency. So, you know, we, we know that the, the, the history, I mean, the, the chronology that you've presented on your website really kind of lays out the different uh, events that that occurred over the last hundred years. So I, I definitely recommend people to kind of go to that to to look through it. But you know, bringing it all now to to the present day, uh, what, you know, what we see is that as you were saying that you know there was a build up that uh, you had different development tracks. You know, one track was to kind of build up uh, the the Nazi Antarctica operations uh, that that was working with the draconians and they're kind of like co-opt the US to feed resources, to feed uh, people and money to create this huge space program that would serve as an auxiliary uh, for the draconian fleet in interstellar war. And on the other hand, you have the, the Navy being helped on the side by these Nordics that had infiltrated uh, and, and were helping the Navy develop its own, its own space fleets. And so you actually have like parallel development on Earth, which is all part of this temporal war. And it, and it seems that everything has recently come to a head that over the last few years, you know, that this temporal war has, has, has come to a head, you know, because only because like we have different uh, timelines, you know, one is this kind of Antarctic Nazi draconian timeline where the Earth is, is kind of like the fulcrum or one of the aspects of this galactic tyranny which is unfolding. And, th and that seems to be, you know, what we're seeing playing out right now, you know, the, the tyranny all over the globe. And on the other hand, behind the scenes, we have this kind of Star Trek future unfolding mm. And, and you have like, you know, the Earth Alliance kind of nurturing that. So right now we kind of like live in a schizophrenic planet where on the surface, it all looks pretty dark, but behind the scenes, uh, this Star Trek future is being methodically uh, 
created and is being um, led or, or it's, it's playing out behind the scenes. But at some point, it's going to start emerging into the public scene. So, yeah, do you, you kind of like want to talk about that? Yeah, well, it's so true, Michael. Um, their, their power is only uh, secrecy and deception, uh, how they can move forward. Our power to the Star Trek future, which is the one I prefer, uh, is uh, disclosure. And because when the people become aware of the truth, there's more of us than there is of them. And this uh, global cabal, that's uh, the ones that helped fund in the Nazis and everything, uh, they, uh, their New World Order agenda, they just want to reduce the population and see the rest of it enslaved, and they keep all this advanced technologies for themselves, and that's their future they want to see. Whereas uh, there is an incredible, beautiful future that can be uh, realized with the full disclosure uh, put out. And you know, I was thinking of a thought earlier about how, how there's certain things that are revealed when you look historically and you look chronologically in sequence. Like, um, for example, um, after, let's say, around it was February 1955, Holloman Air Force Base, I believe there's somewhat of a surrender with uh, uh, President Eisenhower. And then uh, shortly after that, uh, he, um, in, in 2017, I found it amazing that the JFK files got partially released, which there was a 25-year secrecy order by George H.W. Bush, you know, Bush Sr. And in those uh, documents, it showed that Hitler was alive and well in Argentina. And in 1960, when Hitler was still alive, uh, President Eisenhower flies down to Bariloche, Argentina, which was a known hideout of Hitler. And, and so there's this sequence of events that happen. Uh, right after the surrender, you have, I think it was 1956, you have uh, Operation Deep Freeze, where they started sending down supplies and personnel down to Antarctica. Uh, do, do you want to expand on that? What? Uh, see what your what your uh, insights are on operation deep freeze yeah i think uh you know antarctica was really a way for this german dark fleet draconian alliance to establish itself secretly away from the prying eyes of the rest of the planet because antarctica is very inaccessible and it's hard to know what's going on there and of course, they reached these agreements uh, with the Eisenhower administration, where huge amounts of money were secretly funneled to the Antarctic Germans under the Apollo program. I mean, the Apollo program was a cover. I mean, of course, people think that the Apollo program was all about getting Americans to the moon. Well, that's, that's you know, the truth is the Apollo program was a cover to get Germans to Mars and Alpha Centauri. I mean, that was that's the truth. Uh, because, uh, you know, they were building these uh, Saturn V rockets that 
you know, I mean, they could launch a hundred tons into into Earth orbit and, and take it to the moon and 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 do their exploration up there. But in the meantime, they were building these uh, fleets of Hanabu spacecraft and uh, cigar-shaped craft that could take, you know, ten times that uh, and and do it. And had fleets of these things going out there. So, so really, Antarctica was where the action was really happening, and the Apollo program was was a cover. And 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 of course, this was all happening uh, because agreements had been made. And what the Navy was doing was to kind of monitor all that, but then set up its Solar Warden space program. And it was only in the late 70s that, that the Navy kind of uh, deployed its first um, cigar-shaped craft, which were really converted Nautilus craft, uh, Nautilus-class submarines that were re retrofitted uh, with anti-gravity and kind of free energy uh, devices so that they could fly off into space. So that's how the Navy began. But, but the Navy was like 20 years 30 years behind the Germans because because the Germans had developed their Andromeda class uh, cigar shaped craft in the um, in the 1940s and the Navy's doing it in the 1970s so so that's a 30 year time time lapse so that that and that and that tells us you know the difference between you know what was going on in Antarctica uh, because the draconians were helping the Germans fast track the development of these technologies, whereas the Nordics were helping the Navy do it. But, you know, the Nordics were kind of like more, uh, you know, they wouldn't just give the technologies to, to the Navy scientists. They would say, well, uh, you know, they would work with people like uh, William Tompkins and kind of like feed him ideas and, and, and help us develop it indigenously. So it took a lot longer. So the Navy was like a full 30 years behind what the Germans had done with the draconians because of the non-interference. And, and, and so that, you know, that's kind of like a key part of our history. And only recently, it seems that there's been a big shift in control in Antarctica. Yeah, the, the Nordics had to work within the confines of the prime directive with, with helping the Navy. Um, and before the Apollo program, you know, Werner von Braun with Walt Disney was selling the public, you know, going to the moon and Mars on using rockets, where him and uh, his mentor, Professor Herman Oberth, who said had help from people from other worlds, they knew darn well, they understood the torsion physics of anti-gravity. So basically, the whole thing was a very expensive prop to make the public feel like oh we're doing something with the rockets and things and he makes you wonder about uh elon musk you know with the rockets going up when all this uh all this is such primitive you know compared to what was uh what was developed decades prior but because of the secrecy and the control of the information uh they've been able to uh keep this other world that is far decades ahead of us uh, while we're still using primitive obsolete technologies. So this 
bifurcation where we actually have a space program using antiquated rocket technologies. And on the other hand, we have a secret space program using anti-gravity. Now, I know there's a lot of people that have been working behind the scenes to actually create anti-gravity technologies. And, and you've actually done some work with that. And, and you kind of mentioned it briefly before. So, you know, how far have you gone and people that you have worked with gone in developing some working anti-gravity or free energy propulsion or free energy systems that could be used in the civilian sector? Well, I haven't worked with anti-gravity, essentially just energy systems. Um, and there has been uh, work with, um, um, I just passed away. Um, Oh, I got a mental blank on it. Anyway, um, worked with a number of scientists that had systems. Some were uh, solid state, some were rotational, different different types of uh, configurations. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, it it doesn't get it doesn't get to market. Uh, I have one scientist friend who. Uh, had a small device that put out about 180 watts of power. He had 60,000 of them made in Japan. He had his vehicles blown up. He was thrown in prison. He received the national security order. Uh, he couldn't bring it to, bring it to uh, he couldn't bring it to the to the public uh, since that time. Without a national security order, he's had another energy device, and um, that the small box that produces over a kilowatt and it's, it's plexiglass you can see through it there's no batteries no nothing um and uh you know, won't have time to go in it but he, he's he's an interesting one because i think i shared an audio recording he actually got a hold of one of the tesla generators that was used on the uss eldridge and got it operational um and was able to create a dimensional portal uh, he actually has a photograph of an entity going through, through the wall. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's just a, a, sad, a sad story. I, I wish I had something uh, to say that, yes, we have something that was able to get released, but they make, they make darn sure that nothing gets out to the public that infringes on their... Um, their their whole system i met with uh, in 2001 i met with a whole group of scientists one of them was uh mike cummings who had a crystal in his laboratory he was a physicist at berkeley and was able to get a huge amount of power out of it and it was glowing and it was levitating actually uh they came in with a swat team cleaned out his whole laboratory um uh, it just it's just one nightmare story after another but uh, it's something you know it's sort of a sore spot for me because uh, I spent 10 years and it was just one situation after another you would you would imagine that something would be able to come out that you can help the world with but they make they make darn sure that uh, it doesn't get to a certain stage yeah, the uh, suppression of uh, free energy and anti-gravity technologies has been going on for uh, for a long, long time. Uh, I 
I know that um, some people uh, were working in a place called Paradise, California, on some of these uh, free energy and anti-gravity uh, devices. Ralph Ring uh, was uh, someone that uh, worked with Otis Carr in the uh, um, early 1960s. And actually, Otis Carr came up with a, an operational anti-gravity uh, device that was uh, flight tested, and it worked. Um, and then he was raided by uh, a number of alphabet agencies, uh, kind of similar to what you described with Mark Cummings, the, um, the, the free energy uh, inventor. And, and that's, that's been a, a recurring theme with a lot of these uh, people that come up with, you know, whether it's anti-gravity, whether it's uh, free energy, or maybe some alternative healing, they kind of like get raided by federal authorities and they get shut down. But, but one of the things that I found very uh, interesting was that, um, and this is something Elena Danan uh, got information about, which was that in the town of Paradise, that there were a number of extraterrestrials that uh, were actually helping develop some of these uh, advanced technologies, uh, free energy, anti-gravity, and so forth. And that that was the reason why the town was burnt down. So, you know, it shows you the the extent to which the secret government goes right. to prevent all this stuff from coming out. That, you know, it's not only just getting raided by official agencies, but it's like they'll, they'll use uh, directed energy weapons to target people or buildings or even an entire town to take out some facilities and apparently the the extraterrestrials that were located in paradise though they had underground laboratories and because you know the, the the directed energy weapons took out the town you know those facilities were lost as well as a number of people a number of extraterrestrials oh it's it's a crime against all of humanity um yeah it's 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 heartbreaking <laughs> um yeah, the whole energy thing. I, I couldn't imagine that. Uh, but they, they will use any resource whatsoever that they have in order to block anything. Even when I worked with uh, Dr. Vogel uh, in the 80s, he said, if anything we come up with in the laboratory is going to be a paradigm changing, the government will come in and clean out our lab. And I thought he was being totally conspiratorial until I, I learned decades later that he was absolutely correct. So what does that mean then for our future? I mean, if the, if the history has been that, you know, whenever free energy or kind of alternative research has come up with some of these pioneering technologies that they get raided or get shut down or, you know, entire towns are burnt down so that this stuff doesn't see the light of day. Does, does that mean that this stuff is only ever going to come out through major corporations like, um, you know, maybe uh, Tesla's, SpaceX, uh, Lockheed Martin, Skunk Works, or Northrop Grumman, that, it's, that the system is set up that, okay, if, if this technology is, is ever to be developed, it's going to come out through major corporations. And the best that we can hope for is that, say, a, a pioneer such as Elon Musk might develop some of this stuff and, and release it. But in a way, it's still going to be under the control of a major corporation with uh, the secrecy system uh, well and truly kind of living on because when you have these major corporations in control of stuff 
uh, that's proprietary. Very little of it comes out, but, but but I don't know. Maybe Elon Musk is different. I mean, he talks about uh, open source. Maybe Musk is uh, uh, someone very different. Um, and Elena Danan is very interesting because the information she got was that uh, Elon Musk is actually working closely with the Alpha Centauri. So so is that maybe a way for this technology to kind of like uh, be distributed? through the civilian sector by someone like uh, Musk, who, who really does run a, a big corporation. But then at, at, the, at the end of the day, he talks about uh, making it all open source. Well, I think it would be a, a front operation where they would use Elon Musk as the, oh, the, the, the genius <laughs> billionaires coming out with these great inventions. But as you and I know, in these programs, they working with advanced races that are thousands or millions of years in advance. It's, it's kind of good that we don't have something sort of half, uh, you know, that when you consider like when we were going to have these uh, scientists come forth before open congressional hearing to prove we had zero point energy, stuff that's in the black projects is far beyond what civilian inventors are, are producing. So, the only way this technology is going to come out is that the the dark controlling forces that have kept it suppressed have been uh disclosure happens uh they have been uh recognized who they are they are then brought to justice in a nuremberg type of trial where they no longer will hijack our planet's future at that point, I believe we will have this incredible technologies that are uh, for energy, transportation across the board uh, for all humanity to benefit from that are more highly developed than a lot of backyard scientists and uh, inventors around the planet, although there's some brilliant minds on the planet that have received national security orders, the stuff they have developed with huge amounts of funding and, and brilliant minds is way in advance. So it would make sense to have that type of uh, technology. And Elena Danan's information, I find it quite interesting because it she keeps having situations where her information corroborates such as you know, with what's happening on Neptune and about the uh, arc that's down in Bermuda and about the uh, prime directive. You have all these different situations with her that corroborate before it actually becomes public what uh, her contacts in the Galactic Federation are communicating to her. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the situation is that there needs to be this global mass awakening. And you know, you're contributing immensely, Michael, by what you're doing, bringing together controversial, I guess, to the mainstream normies, I guess you could say, uh, the secret space program witnesses and corroborating. You do the due diligence, you do the research, you do the background on all these people. You bring forth and put together this information and present it on a platform that's educating the public, and the public can start to see that you're that all these people aren't making this up. And so, 
that's the only way I can see it being transformed is through this global mass awakening where we can have um, the people who have been perpetrating this on humanity brought to justice. And so we can release these advanced technologies that have been withheld for decades. Well, you know, this mass awakening, I mean, this is something that uh, I draw a lot of comfort from because I know if we go back five years, in terms of uh, people who thought, like we do, that there's a secret government manipulating uh, elected representatives and Congress and the, and the population, um, that we wouldn't have had that many people in the mainstream uh, believing that. But then, of course, Trump comes along. Uh, you have the Q movement, <laughs> and and you kind of like have people suddenly being red pilled that there's this secret government involving these. Um, you know, don't, don't, I want to avoid the trigger words for right, the census. Right, right. <laughs> um, but but you, you but you have uh, this secret government that's pulling the strings behind the scenes that kind of does things like send. Uh, mainstream media, uh, media reports uh, to send uh, talking points to mainstream media at 4 a.m. in the morning. These are your talking points for the day. Right. You know, that that sort of thing, say five years ago, only a few people would have believed that that was going on. But after Trump and uh, the, the Q movement, all of a sudden it's it's become so mainstream that they actually had to ban these groups. They had to ban these people. Oh, the, to... the efforts they went through, my God. Yeah, the, the, everything, you know, all the mainstream media is attacking them. Even Congress wrote, wrote something against it, uh, deleted thousands or millions of accounts that even mentioned the word, you know, why is it so, uh, what is it that is so, um, so dangerous and then they try to associate it with all the psychological operations as a dangerous nazi cult you know that's uh yeah. Yeah, it's violent and, and and it was like uh it's almost humorous uh the the extent that they go to and what's sad is that i used to watch the news but my wife and i find that it's it's so disturbing watching somebody lie to you and that we don't do it anymore because uh, I want to find out what is it that they're they're putting in people's minds that are believing this stuff. It's just so they get an idea of where they're going with it. You can tell where they're going with things. You know, like uh, I saw in the news report that the oh the sanctions on Russia. We're we're expecting a cyber attack. You know, from Russia. You know, and all this stuff. You can see where they're they're they they seed and prep the public where they're taking the agenda next. And how do we, how do we, we don't control CNN. We don't control the New York times. And, uh, and so, so long as those people are just locked into those channels, um, they're just going to think we're this, the, the, the fringe people that, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that believe in yeah. wild, crazy conspiracy theories. Well, you know, this is this is the key, and it goes back to you know what how we began that you know back in the early 1900s uh, there was this secret government pulling the strings, and people have been talking about this for over 100 years. I mean, I mentioned you know uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican, 
Theodore uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson was a uh, Democrat. And, and both of them believed that there was a secret government pulling the strings. So today, I mean, you, you actually have on the on the political right, uh, you know, Trump supporters that, you know, they're fully on board now. Yeah, there's a secret government. You know, they they made sure Trump didn't win, uh, you know, that, you know the, the election steal sort of thing. They made sure that he didn't get back in. And now, But now on the political left, uh, people there are starting to wake up, that they're starting to see secret, they're starting to see, uh, things that don't add up, and and, yeah, and I saw, yeah. for for example, Noam Chomsky, of all people, Noam Chomsky, come out and said that of all major world statesmen, the only one not pouring fuel or uh, extending the Ukraine conflict is Donald Trump, and this is after you know only a couple of years earlier he called Donald Trump. A, a Hitler, a modern-day Hitler. Now he's saying Trump mm. is the only statesman that is trying to bring about a diplomatic solution to the Ukraine conflict. So, so a lot of people on the political left are now seeing that we are being railroaded into a possible nuclear war with with Russia, and this is waking up a lot of people on the mm. political left. And so, you know, a, a year ago. A lot of people on the political left, you know, I mean, they were outright banning people that were saying, well, there's a secret government out there that manipulates conflicts and, and, and is playing people, divide and conquer. But now they're starting to see it. And, and what's waking them up is this drive to get the US to basically go to war with Russia. I mean, Congress has passed or is on the verge of passing a bill for $33, million, $33 billion in aid to uh, Ukraine, military aid. I mean, that, that really is a declaration of war. And the Russians are saying, if, if you do this, that's, you are approaching our red line. And they're saying, yeah, we'll, go to, we'll use nuclear weapons. So this is, this is waking up the political left. So the, and I think that once the political left is woken up, that there's a secret government that does, in fact, manipulate both sides to create these conflicts, once the, the left is woken up, then you're going to have this, it's going to become a global awakening. Oh, like you said, when, the, when you're red-pilled and you're awake and you look at the news, it's very transparent about where they're going, what they're, what they're attempting to do. Um, yeah, this little lady right here, Sarah McClendon, she was a famed White House correspondent during the Clinton administration, asking what's he going to do about disclosure? And Clinton said, Sarah, there's a secret government in the government and I don't control it. So yes, there's, there's been a secret government controlling. Uh, they, they have lots of names, deep state, a cabal, you know, you don't, can't say all the names because of the uh, <laughs> uh, situation we have with, uh, you know, secrecy and deception. That's their main tools and disclosure. And, and uh, you know, all we thank God for the alternative media. That's all we have uh, in order to get this information out. But it's, like, you know, it's like preaching to the choir, as I say, you know, a lot of the people who watch these channels, they're already pretty, pretty savvy. They've already been doing a little bit of research on their own. Sometimes once in a while, you get somebody that shares something with a family member, and uh, they look at something and say, oh, my God, I remember the, uh, this one gay liberal guy, Brandon, his name was that 
his family members said, oh, you know, CNN's manipulating the information. Oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. And then he looked into it and he, and he was like, oh, my God, they are. And he turned from a extreme liberal to uh, started the walkaway movement, <laughs> you know. And so the people who are, when they find out they've been deceived, become some of the greatest warriors for the truth. So what do you think is going to happen now? I mean, we are at this critical point where if things don't evolve in the positive direction, um, you know, there, there could be like this nuclear war. Um, and, and of course, there's all the uh, oppression, the shutdowns, all of the efforts to kind of like put people in a place of fear, put them um, in, a, in a place of uh, anxiety, food scarcity, all of these negative things that seem to be kind of like coming our way but on the other hand you you have this kind of like uh star trek future you, know, you have the artemis accords you have space force you have space command forming multinational uh, space alliance and you have the galactic federation kind of like working with these positive human groups so i mean is, is there going to be a split uh, are we going to go in one direction or the other what do you think is going to happen we are definitely at a fulcrum point, aren't we, Michael? You have uh, uh, working on a food famine, they're working on nuclear war, they're working on uh, a, a global cyber attack and the whole power grid going down with, uh, you know, Klaus Schultz and his uh, cyber polygon, you know, they always, they always do these, uh, they have the long history of uh, doing these exercises before they do what they're going to do. And so on the other hand, like you said, we have an incredible future with the Artemis Accords. We have a huge um, galactic fleet, apparently, in our solar system that, uh, and hopefully they would intervene, you know, if there was a nuclear uh, situation, you know, like they did in the past. Uh, of course, Hiroshima and Nagasaki didn't have that, that advantage. Uh, and so everybody is kind of, wondering the same thought that you and I are both thinking, you know, which way is it going to go? But, but for some reason, I feel optimistic. I don't know what it's based on, but <laughs> I, I just have this faith in uh, that there's enough of us that, uh, that there's this uh, morphogenic field that we're all connected with. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm doing something with, with Elena in the future here with uh, her, Thorhan's younger brother, Terraform's planets, uh, gave me a whole lot of information on the technology of crystals, which is correlating perfectly with the research, lab research that Dr. Marcel Vogel did. And so uh, we get a lot of people envisioning a positive timeline and seeding it in with the crystals. You know, any, you know, since we're not going out there and picketing, when we uh, did this back in 2001, uh, Larry uh, Warren, who was in the Brentwaters situation, he was on the phone to London and he was saying, hey, Dan, they're picketing out in front of Parliament. They're saying, expose the secret government, release the extraterrestrial technologies. They're all picketing out there. I thought it was fantastic. There was nothing like that happening in Washington. And so you and I know we can pick it and go to protests. We can do all this stuff. We can do YouTubes. Um, but uh, uh, sometimes uh, maybe we have to 
approach it spiritually, you know, from within and uh, help seed that uh, global collective reality on our, our planetary matrix that we're all connected with. Uh, anything, do anything we can. Uh, I'm sure everybody wants to feel empowered, you know, because we look at, we look at the situation. If you, you look at the, the news, it's like uh, depressing. So um, people want to feel like, I know a lot of people want to see us go on a positive timeline. And I, I think there is this uh, desire in so many people's hearts and minds to see that future Star Trek future that, and I think that's going to be the driving force that will move us to that. And uh, somehow it's going to, somehow it's going to play out uh, for humanity's future in that way. Yeah, I feel that same confidence as you do, that things are going to turn out okay, that even though it looks very scary, that things will turn out, that we are, are going to have this Star Trek future, and that within a few years, all this stuff is going to appear like a bad nightmare that, that, that we had. But right now we're in the midst of it, and it is important to just kind of stay positive, kind of... Um, you know, I think uh, being informed about the issues always helps. Uh, I, I think that uh, the chronology you, you developed actually is a is an important tool for people to just know about how things have evolved over the last hundred years to today. So, how do people find this chronology that that you developed or this timeline? of the whole uh, exopolitical, extraterrestrial intervention on Earth? Oh, Michael, it was the uh, Hollywood article that turned online and it's crude. It's, uh, it, it's not a professional site, uh, thewebmatrix.net. And it started, I was aware of all these witness testimonies. So I had and uh, many documents that were authenticated. And so I started plugging them along into the chronological timeline. It starts to, when you see things chronologically in sequence, one following the next, following the next, and there's definite connections, you know, such as when James Forrestal was murdered and then uh, General, uh, uh, General Beetle Smith uh, was brought in and he comes out with a memo for psychological warfare using the, extra, uh, the UFO issue. And then you have George Adamski coming out with the Space Brothers of Venus and the picture of the Hanabu 2 is the, uh, the spacecraft from Venus. You have this sequence of events that are very revealing of how, and if you look at things over time and you have documents that are authenticated and you have these witness testimonies, you can't fake that. And so... Um, yeah, it's uh, thewebmatrix.net, uh, and it, you know I have no commercial interest whatsoever. I just want to. It, it just it just bothers me to see that this uh, planet has been deceived, and that we have this potential um, world that has been withheld, and the only thing that's kept it withheld is the deceptions. And the deception needs to be exposed and uh, the world liberated. 
Well, I know you've played a, a big role in waking up a lot of people, you know, through your involvement with the Disclosure Project press conference. And you've, you've been doing a lot of interviews. You've been working with a lot of people, um, free energy in banners, and you've been trying to really help us move forward as a civilization. So I, I, I know that uh, we are at this critical point, this point where you know we either implode or we kind of expand into a galactic civilization but I, but I think you know you've you've done your bit to help us move in that positive direction and uh, I think you're you're one of the heroes Dan yeah. for getting us into this Star Trek future so I want to thank you for that well Michael you know you're my mentor and I highly recommend your books because my timeline would be totally incomplete without all the incredible research knowledge that you've done into your whole book series on the Secret Space Program, uh, which I highly recommend everyone to, to read. And uh, there's references for everything and um, know the truth and um, speak the truth and help be part of the solution, not part of the problem. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you, Dan, for being on uh, Exopolitics today. Aloha. On my honor. Aloha, Michael. You have been listening to Exopolitics today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala visit exopoliticstoday.com.